Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. The more we are connected to death and having that in a healthy periphery of us at all times, because it is there. It is the guarantee in this current life that we have. Right. We are going to die. To be connected to that, I think, is the healthiest thing to be. Hi, my name is Mark Groves, and I'm obsessed with understanding human behavior and why we do what we do. In this podcast, I interview the world's most brilliant minds and hearts, where I get to explore, alongside you, every subject you can imagine relating to our human experience and how we relate. It is my deepest intention that we all learn how to create the life and love that we've always dreamt of. Now, before we get rolling, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And one ask that I have, and an amazing way that you can help support the podcast, is by wherever you listen to it, giving it a five-star review and a written review. With all that said, let's dive in and transform our lives. Welcome to another episode of the Mark Gross Podcast. I'm here today with founder of Gold Plunge, Ryan Dewey. Good to be here, my man. I'm so excited to have you on. I mean, I've been a long time cold plunging. I don't know. I was going to say aficionado, but I don't. That's selling my ability to cold plunge too much. But just so passionate about it as an experience and grateful that I've gotten to know you just through that and uh, have a cold plunge at home. And I wanted to have you on because I love your company. I love what you guys stand for and, and love your product, but more so talking about building a business because I've watched you guys build like, I think when I first got to know you, you guys were just in the early part of creating. Yeah. So, yeah. When did when did we first link? When, what time period was that? It was probably two and a half years ago. So we were right, I mean... Maybe two? Because we are two and a half years as a company, so it was probably two years ago. And that yeah. was like maybe early 2021-ish. Yeah. Somewhere That's in there. That's probably right. Because in the middle of COVID, you know, I was like, how do I... I was learning about emotional regulation on a deeper level, the nervous system... How do you teach your nervous system to have more um, range? You know, and everything I was reading and learning, one thing that kept coming back was cold plunging. And whenever I would take on like a cold shower initiative, and you know, Wim Hof went pretty viral too. Yep. It was Tony Robbins who said the reason he cold plunges is because he doesn't negotiate with fears that aren't real. And that really resonated with me because I thought, oh, so much of our reaction is old patterns and old triggers. And we don't tend to have space between 
the stimulation and the response. So I thought, gosh, if I could sit in the space of cold water, my body is saying, you're going to die, but I'm not going to. I'm actually safe. And if anything, I'm actually contributing to my health and reducing inflammation and all the things that I actually noticed that through the practice of staying in there longer and being with the discomfort, that it made me way better at emotional regulating in dialogue with my partner or just, I mean, with the internet. The internet is hard to dialogue with sometimes. But I mean, you that is kind of the top feature to it. Everyone thinks on like post-workout recovery and things yeah. like that, but it's nervous system regulation is like the the number one. Were you using... Were you just getting in rivers before? Do you have the chest freezer or what were you doing? I was getting, I was looking at a chest freezer and I was, you know, looking up all the yeah. ways to do it. And uh, I think it's Josh Trent who connected us. That's right. Uh, yeah. 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 And he's like, oh, you got to look at the cold plunge. And then he hooked us, you know, he hooked that us right. up. He texted yep. both of us. But um, what's been interesting and one, just being able to have it, the product is awesome. And to be able to just get into it and control the temperature and all the things but is also witnessing you guys growing. Do you guys do law compared to two years ago? We we are a totally different business two years ago. I mean, the company started, we were kind of a, we were talking a little offline here, but the the company started, you know, Genesis is right out of COVID. COVID hits. Company, my my co-founder and I, we had to shut our other businesses down and in California. And so it gave us a little time to work on a side project. And this was this side project. He started, building a cold plunge in his garage and you know it was a total like tinker project of like building this thing and you know i saw him developing this product like real time and i was like whoa this is happening and there really wasn't a product on the market anyways we started in the garage it was very simple like we're going to sell 20 of these online to our not even online we were going to sell them to our customer bases from the brick and mortars and just email them and say hey it's side project we've been working on we'll build you guys cold plunges. Yeah. And then it just really took off from there. So the company itself, like two years from what we were, I mean, we were in a garage, then we were in the back of a bike shop that we met the guy delivering his unit. And he's like, I got space in the back of a bike shop. So we moved in there. Then we signed a lease on like 20,000 square feet. And then we outgrew that in two months. And then we were in... You outgrew that in two months. Yeah, we were in 8,000, which we thought would be our like home forever, 8,000 square feet. Well, that was within a few months too small for us. And now we've, you know, since... 25,000, 50,000, 60,000 square feet. Like we, it's grown, it's grown substantially. We've grown up as a company. So fast. Very too. fast. And yeah. it, it, you know, I think it was, you know, more of a, of the world wanting this product at that time. Like we, we hit the moment where yeah. the, you know, Wim Hof had been a trailblazer. You know, I always, that guy is, is the Don. He, you know, he's ridiculed and, and I just have so much gratitude for him. Like he just kept pushing, kept pushing, like, and just took a stand for humanity into who, you know, called crazy. You're, you're a, you live at, you know, he's just a kind of ostracized. And he was like, no, like, this is something that we all are capable of. And we cold water or breath work. And he, he proved it in the setting, scientific setting. So anyways, he had kind of created mm-hmm. the, the, the culture in the world that, was, was starting to get ready for this. And we just kind of fit right at that moment. Even when we were starting, we were kind of looking at each other like, like really, is it, is it us? Like, are, like are, you know, and there have been a couple other companies doing it, different price point, kind of different type of product. But this whole consumer, like residential type unit didn't really exist. Yeah. It was like these commercial, very high-end custom they units. Like that like 25 grand. Exactly. I remember looking at those. Yeah. Like, oh, damn. And that, that was what was out there. And so Should we were, I get a car or my, you know. <laughs> I would recommend the custom cold plunge still. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, but we, yeah, we we saw it and we were just like, we loved it. It started just kind of like, 
we built the product for ourselves. Like we, we want to be doing this. I was going to a river or commercial facility three to five days a week. Mike had the chest freezer clunky thing in his garage that he was getting in. So, you know, we built it for ourselves and it just, the world wanted it really, really quickly. And so we just have kind of been more playing catch up to a, to a world that is ready for this, wanting this. So it's like, how do we scale this accordingly, which has been, you know, I haven't had an experience in that. And so that's been a fun, lot of learnings into like building this business and getting it to where it is today. And even, you know, the ambition of where we want to go and where we see this, this is a whole new category, a whole new market into, you know, it'd be like saunas never really existing. And all of a sudden, like, yeah. there's a world That's for saunas. Funny. So yeah. it's, um, you know, anticipating how big it is, we, we don't know. But it's, it has been, building. Uh, it's been one of the most fun things. Yeah, it's interesting to think that the market cap on that is actually unknown. <laughs> like, it's unknown. You're creating it. Or participating in an industry that is moving in that direction. Because, you know, gyms, people at home, people how I mean, COVID was such the perfect storm for that. But for so many people, you know, businesses got shut down and especially brick and mortar. Yep. But any event-based businesses, any service-based businesses, a lot of them got shut down. And uh, I remember watching, I forget who it was, uh, but they were saying that some of the world's biggest businesses in history were created during recessions. And I thought, oh, that's really like, we don't, when our mind gets into a, I don't know if this is the right term, but like a recessive state or like in the, in the time yep. of recession, we all sort of go to scarcity. Generally, we go to like, well, how am I going to survive? How am I going to, which makes sense. How did you go from like your brick and mortar? Were you actually feeling that sense of doom or, or, or uh, what? Uh, no, I mean, I think I do remember Mike early on COVID hit and he was like, I'm coming out better on the other side of this. Like oh, it was he already like, laid the he laid it down and it was a flag in the ground. And, you know, I'd been thinking it and it was like, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, my personal life had kind of got turned upside down at that moment. I mean, shut the business down. So my income dried up, moved into an RV. Raya and I, who we are together now, we broke up in that moment. So it was like my life kind of crumbled. And it was, and then he pitched me on like, do you want to get in business together? And it was like, I gotta figure a few things. Give me like a month or two to figure a few things out. But anyways, all that got what I'm getting at is it crumbled, but I still felt like I didn't look at COVID as like, this isn't a good time to do it. It was like, yeah. this is the only time to, this is all we got is now. Like, I don't really look at market factors into yeah. what it is. And I, good I do think you didn't. I, I think it's a good thing in general. I kind of look to like where the world's zigging, like look for the zag. So it's like, if everyone's screaming crypto, maybe you want to hold off on crypto. You know, <laughs> I think I bought it then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now I, I have. And uh, I, I fall for it all, all the time. But now it's like no one's talking about it. Well, it's like maybe some innovative things are happening there. Same with business. Like yeah. everyone's, you know, I'm very bullish on like brick and mortar businesses right now, which I'm in real life encounters. We went all digital. Everything went online. Well, I think yeah. their core of us want to be in person with each other. We want to be connecting. That's that's deep in our DNA. So I'm very bullish on businesses that are bringing people together. I think there's a huge opportunity there. So kind of when I think like everything's kind of quieted down or there was a hype cycle for it, and it falls apart, there's an opportunity there. So, you know, I think at a business time, you know, COVID, there was an opportunity to kind of chill and like life gave a pause, which some people took advantage of that. But like, what are you going to do with that pause? And for us, it was, we wanted to build a business. It wasn't thought through in some massive business plan. It was literally 
Let's build these. Let's email. We have access to an email list. Let's mm-hmm. email these people. See if people we'll are sell interested. twenty. That's what we said, and we'll just take them in the van, and we'll show up, and we'll set it up at your house. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, a couple micro decisions we made along the way that helped it grow. But you know, I think COVID, you, you saw this. I think wellness went to the forefront, and it might not have felt that way in the mainstream, where like people were talking about health is your priority. Health was the priority. That was kind of the sub concept with everything, everyone, you know, the sick, you know, what was going on, people on the individual level start thinking like, truly with this COVID, it was a reflection, is my health in order? Yeah. And that's going to... Especially with all the comorbidities. Exactly. Was... And I think people, it it, it kind of shook a lot of people. And so you yeah. saw that people, like first gyms were closing. So there was just a, I want to build my own home gym out. But then there was a lot of like, no, I need to step my game up in this world that is, you know, a lot more environmental stressors coming on you know, COVID, this, you know, pandemic hitting, like, what can I do? Where can yeah. I empower myself? And there was a world that, a community that stepped up and said, how do I empower my own health? Well, we fit into that category. Yeah. We found a lot of people that were actually looking for those um, solutions in that. That makes a lot of sense. You know, you said a few things that um, I want to come back to. One that, yeah, the world really did become very digital. And, you know, prior to that, I had created, I think my first or second course, and then when COVID hit, it just happened to be also the perfect storm for online digital courses, which I think we're seeing a, a massive decline in online digital. Like, it's interesting because there's this there's this intersection between now AI. I'm I don't know about you, but the we, buzz, we've talked a little about it. Yeah, the buzz is coming in hot totally. on AI, especially about these like Chat GBT and I, I think that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. And then um, I saw one the other day; they had a clip of. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, and it was him talking at some environmental thing. And as he was speaking, they took, there's this, I think, I forget what the bot is called or the AI technology, but it played through, it listened to Joe Rogan's episodes. Did you see this? I've seen a couple Joe, I saw Joe and uh, Steve Jobs having a so, conversation. Yeah, it had Joe, Steve Jobs, it had a bunch of, of women too. I, I forget all the names. But anyways, what was really fascinating is that it just took exactly what Leonardo DiCaprio was saying, but put it in these other people's voices and it sounded exactly like them. It was wild. And I was just thinking like, the future of business is now at this strange intersection because I feel like this over-digitization that we've Mm -hmm. experienced in the last three years especially, but it's been hitting us pretty hard probably since like, 2007, since the rise of social media, mm-hmm. which I think Facebook started in like 2007, something like that. 2004, I think. It yeah. Yeah. To like but the main. Seven, eight was when it really hit that's scale. That's when like yeah. regular people picked yeah. it up. And I just think of like, there's a large faction of people that are, I don't want more digital. Like we're craving in person, we're craving cellular, like the biological version, not cellular. And I'm noticing that even from a business perspective, how much people want to be in person. Like they just want to be an event. They want to be in family. They want to be in community. And I think so much of that has been severed and and lots of things have happened in the last three years that have Mm -hmm. done that, that we're craving it. And I feel like there's this split that's happening where some of us are going to go towards the singularity Mm -hmm. and others of us are going to go towards the land. And I, I'm sure there's a way to do both. Yeah. Because I'm sure even for your business to scale using AI could be a really wonderful way to handle customers or whatever. I don't know. It does feel, uh, yes, I don't, I don't 
see it as is exactly binary as that, yeah. but I, yeah. I I agree. There is there does seem to be paths opening up where yeah. one is tending one direction, one is the other. I mean, our big thing as a company right now is like how do we how do we balance both? Because like to build a business, like everything is online. Right. So we have to do that to the best of our ability. Totally. And, you know, there's online community is a thing. I, I use community tends to be more real life to me. Like I don't yeah, like to just agreed. throw that word around. It's hard to do on a digital totally. platform. And so it's like digital, uh, you know, what is the term? Digital correspondence, digital connection, like some ways to be tapped in there. But it's like doing both. Like we have a we have a director of community that's outside that puts on like in real life events. Like there's nothing more fun than showing up and cold plunging with people. Like obviously you have your unit. It you drives do it. you. Like it, it's it, everyone's you, so elated. Like that's the thing. It's you're getting high with other people in this natural form, and you got it's you did a hard thing. You come together. You can do it even more. Like I do it every day individually, but when I do it with a group of people, I am so much more capable. I come out more excited, like there's a connection to see them kind of suffering and getting through something. So that's a big thing for us is like, how do we bring this together in like a community to actually drive like people's overall happiness? Uh, so that that's a massive thing. And then there is this online world. How are we balancing? We're going to be releasing an app. So like, what is that community or connection on the like, how do we bring people together in, yeah. a, in a real like some valuable way? as opposed to just doing it. So it's kind of, yeah. you know, we haven't figured that out. That's our big question right now is how do you balance both these worlds? And I, I think that's kind of the, it's the opportunity that's there right now. But the sauna, like cold plunging and sauna and doing these activities in real life, there's nothing that gets, there's nothing better than that. You get, you do get jacked up for people who've never cold plunged, like when they go into a river, for example, yep. you're just like, holy shit, I did that. That is another, what you said, I, I did a hard thing. I think that's one of the parts of cold plunging is you see these people who are like, I can't possibly, like this is way too cold. And then over time, you see that, like for me, when I first started, I think I was at 54 degrees. And I was doing like three minutes, yep. to, uh, probably at first, like a minute and a half. And then I had a buddy visit and he's like, oh, how long have you done? And I was like, I did three minutes once. He's like, oh, and then he, we, I see him after and he's like, I did eight minutes. I'm like, fuck you, like <laughs> eight minutes. So anyways, I started, now I'm at 44, three minutes. And it's part of my morning ritual. When I was in uh, Coeur d'Alene, it would be minus, oh, I'm in Celsius. So it would be like, 10 degrees Fahrenheit, 15. That, and that's committed to get out when it's that cold out? Dude, it was wild. But what was interesting is I was warmer than the air. Yeah. <laughs> so Once you're in, weird... it's, not a, it's actually not as yeah. difficult that I've found like from that water, unless it's really windy. The wind oh, that's is the worst. That's yeah, the worst. Cuts but, right through, yeah. But you know, it's like, well, cold plunging is, to me, it's like a, a gym for your nervous system. Like we yeah. go to the gym for our, our muscles, our, our body, you know? But it takes time to, you don't go into the gym and do a CrossFit workout your first time. You just get, if you have any trainer that knows what they're doing, they're going to just get in, move your body. Let's, let's just do some weights yeah. and do something that you're going to show up again tomorrow that you're not fully depleted in. Cold plunging is that like you started out 54 degrees, minute and a half. That's like the great entry level to the gym. It's getting in there and and do it, getting on the treadmill a little. It's cold. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's, yeah. it's, you, you got your body moving. You finally... Yeah got off your nervous system got off the couch and you got in there and then you built it up now you're doing longer time periods low 40s like that's now you're in a true workout um i so i was just gone for like two weeks 
didn't cold plunge, took some cold showers. I just came back. I'm at like 47, two minutes. And I was like struggling. Like it was getting back in. So I'm like out of shape a little, you know? Dude, I you had, know? We just got the new one set up because I haven't been around to plunge in a couple, at least a couple weeks. Did you get in? I haven't yet. We're going to do it today. Oh, cool, cool. But I was, I, like, I was waiting to, I was like, I'll do my inaugural plunge in with Ryan. But I, I'm a little terrified because I haven't done it. And yeah. when you do it regularly, like cold shower regularly, I almost find I look forward to it because the vibrancy I have, it feels like every cell in my body is alive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and I remember listening to, I think it's uh, Hooverman Lab. That guy, he's on fire. Yeah, Andrew's the man. My God, he is crushing it. Yeah. But I remember him talking about the data on it. And I think it's really good for brown fat. Is that Yeah. So the brown fat's a fascinating one, which I've learned in this journey. I didn't even know we had two types of fat in our body. Yeah. I just thought we had fat. And then there's this white fat that is the common fat that we always discuss, which is more energy storage. Yeah. And then there's brown fat for, you know, everyone listening. It's like brown fat is energy production. Like that's fat that gives us, it's like my, it's energy from our cells. Brown fat actually gets rid of the white fat in the body, the fat that we are trying to ultimately kind of avoid and yeah. has health, health issues with us. Well, getting in the cold water and being able, it raises our brown fat, which in turn lowers the white fat on our body, helps, you know, glucose regulation. That's right. Um, so metabolism, like the, you have more active brown fat, like your metabolism goes off. So when people say cold plunging is great for weight loss, that's what the correlation is. Oh, it's, it's that actually, it spikes your metabolism, spikes yep. energy production. Exactly. You up. Exactly. Um, you know, and the key thing there is kind of, you know, ideally letting your body naturally warm up after the plunge, as opposed to like getting in warm water immediately. Yeah. Or just at least getting on a mini trampoline, doing some push-ups, doing some jumping jacks. Like you want to kind of warm. There is a process. You don't want your body just to stay cold, but your body starts to, it goes in hyperdrive. Like it's like we were freezing. The body <laughs> needs to go through energy production to get you back warmed up. So yeah, I mean, cold plunging, you mentioned brown fat. That's the that is one of the coolest studies that have come out recently of what it's impacting there. That's so neat. Yeah, the acuity in my mind. There has been times where previously I'd do it and then I'd stay too cold so I didn't warm up. And I would be like on a call with my <laughs> lip shivering. And I'm like, all right, I got to change this process. You go all day like I've had totally like days where I'm sitting there. I'm just like still shivering. Yeah, like. yeah. I'm like, I think I probably need to do some jumping jacks <laughs> yes, after this. That's a good signal. So as you scale, as you went from... I got to close these businesses to opening a business and then it's scaling really fast. Mm -hmm. Like, what did you go from like two years, just you and Mike to? Yeah, I mean, mean, where it's at now, we have probably 70 plus employees, um, you know, and growing. And yeah, I mean, we've, yeah, started with two and it was just, you know, the hires that, especially in our first year and a half, I'd say even now to a degree, very reactionary hires. um, Just like, we got to oh, oh, you can help build? Cool. You want to show up to the shop today and help us build this? Oh, oh shit. We need someone taking customer service calls. Like, yeah. you know, just, it was, it was like that consistently. I think now over the last probably eight months, we've gotten, okay, this is a very stable company. Like we're out of this like frantic chaos mode and it's still very hyper growth, but we're thinking, okay, two years ahead, three years ahead, five years yeah. ahead, making hires strategically. So I, I think our, the talent or the experience on our team has over the last probably six months risen substantially, which in turn, we can kind of move bigger boulders now, focus on bigger things, 
so that, yeah, the company itself, it's been, you know, you talked about like the growth, how it went. It's really just finding, I had a friend that could do this. They came in, <laughs> yeah. you know, oh, you've done sales before. Hey, you want to show up tomorrow? And like, like we need you. To, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so that's been, that's been fun. I mean, the team building has been, that's something I geek out on. Like that's yeah. a big focus that I have in the company is culture and we kind of had our values. Mike and I wrote down our values very early on, but then we we brought on what I call like this business shaman that kind of like came into our company. Was, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and he's done some deep dives with our leadership team, and we've really worked on. We just started to roll them out, like a much more distilled version of our values, which has been great. It's been like this huge relief. Now it's just like we lean on these values, and like our everyone's more or less judged and accountable to these values, you know? And so then we just, the team itself has kind of gone off of that. And so one of those is like all in. And we've had that from the beginning. Like anyone that we've brought onto the team, they've just been, it's a passionate project, you know, cold plunging, it's natural fit. Like people are into it. Um, It impacts lives in a very positive, meaningful way. And so that has become this natural value within the company. That's just like, we've had a few that employees that haven't worked out in that, that just, it doesn't, you know, for whatever, like nothing wrong, but not all in on the mission. Yeah, yeah. And those that are, I mean, it's just been, it's been a rocket ship with them. And so how do you maintain the culture uh, or shift it and grow it? Because when you're adding that many people that fast, like that's... It, it's been, again, don't have the, the exact answer. What it's been to me is like how we develop leaders at different stages in the company. Like it can't just be Mike and I with every employee now. Yeah. And so yeah, you don't have that time. Yeah. So it's like, how does that get to a certain branch that certain people I interface with consistently? But then it's like on like my commitment to them is like develop them developing as leaders because they're in turn now the leaders to who they're interfacing with. So I think it's been, you know, development of people in, in part of it's just like really investing in people, like which is an expense and a cost to like how yeah. do we how do we make this a win-win? for employees in the company? How do we like really, there's a lot of opportunity right now we're growing. So employees are getting opportunities in their careers. So that makes it a little easier. But um, for us, it's been trying to be as transparent as possible with the company, like really clear into what we're working on, what the expectations are of people. And in turn, I think it's been allowing space. You know, I'd like to think so, like employees have space to give direct feedback and like what's Uh, working, what's not working. And so then we can evaluate from there because we're just figuring this thing out as we go. Like I've never, never built a company of this size. So there's a lot of like, I need everyone's feedback coming in. <laughs> into like I, uh, my friend says, I, we're building the plane as we fly it. We are totally building the plane as we go. It gives a good uh, awareness of how it's actually feeling like, oh, we need a wing over there. <laughs> we need this. What have been some of the greatest challenges that you had in the growth? The term scalability is like a really challenging one. It's like, you know, it started with us just cutting PVC pipe in a garage. And then it's like, how do we, how can we ship hundreds of these a month? You know, like that's wild. So it's like building, I think the challenge is finding, it's just hiring really good people. Yeah. You know, it's like, I think my big thing is like, which has been easier said than done, but I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room, but right. I'm not like, I yeah. need people that are like, there's, so there's a lot of humility in that of like, I'm, Mike and I really work on like bringing experts into what they do and us shutting up and then kind of letting them dictate into what what their skill set is. So I think that's been a, you know, a challenge of going from 
you know, it's just him and I making all the decisions to like, oh, we just need to bring smarter people than us to help us drive those decisions. I think to me, it's like the product has changed over time. And we've, you know, what we built in the garage those early days outside of the white acrylic tub, it's different. Like we've, it's been a thousand iterations of a new pump, bulkheads being a quarter inch smaller. So flow is better to, oh, this filter is, you know, 10 micron bigger, which actually helps the flow. Just subtle things. All these little things that make the product better. better. And so there is moments that the product in the moment doesn't meet where we want it to be. And that's always the hardest thing that it's like you want. You You look at your first one versus today. It's like, I'm I'm less because I'm not the, I don't oversee the product. Obviously, it's company, but Mike, especially as like the inventor of the product, like I think he would sit here and be like, I'm, I'm embarrassed of that first generation, <laughs> yeah. you know? And it's yeah. like, but they, you know, if you're not embarrassed, like they always say, if you're not embarrassed of your first product, then you, you move too slow. Oh, um, that's good so, so that's, you yeah. know, that has been. And you have the gift of time and knowledge, like of all to these, learn. you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that have used these products, maybe thousands that it, well, yeah, for sure. Thousands have used yeah. it that you're just like, there's so much feedback and information and volume of things that go wrong versus, you know, whatever. And that, that's it. It's like get, taking that data. Sometimes it can be taken personally, but getting out of that and like, no, how do we just improve this for the customer base? Yeah, I think challenges have just been like, we, it's all the challenges we want to face with growth. At the same token, they're very challenging. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're a lot to hold too. They are. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Like I, it's, you know, grateful to be even facing these challenges. Yeah. And each phase is different. Like for me, a personal challenge is like, you know, my co-CEO of the company, what does a CEO do when you're five employees to when you're seven employees to when you're this? So it's like, I'm constantly like what worked six months ago of how I was being or what my things I was working on isn't necessarily the situation now. Mm -hmm. So kind of in this consistent, reflection of, okay, where are we going and who do I need to be for that? Which is just a constant evolution. So that's like a, that's a, it's a, it's fun. And it's equally like a a lot of kind of reflection that just has to, I'm constantly in right in the moments of like, am I the best fit for this? What am I, what am I not great at? Like, how do we bring people on to support that? What am I, what do I need to be doubling down on? And again, that kind of is across the company, company of like, how do we identify talents within the company and what people are working on. Yeah, I know when I I used to work at an organization that had like 30,000 employees worldwide. And then when I left that and started on my own, and then started to build more employees, and then faced the challenge of managing multiple employees, and then realizing that once you get to a certain number, you need to actually have someone who actually oversees the people. And that feeling like, is that, (laughs) I remember as we got to a certain level, I was just like, is this what I want? Like this, this level of, because uh, I found a lot of my work was being done just to pay overhead. Mm-hmm. But mine is service-based, so very different. And mine was also very uh, based on the algorithm. Like if the algorithm changed, mm. instantly shifts business, which has occurred, which, hey, you know, you got to learn to pivot. And that's been true about all of business and all of history. But, you know, it's been I- interesting to watch as someone who was one of the first ish creators talking about relationships on Instagram and really kind of like perfect time, perfect, you know, 
And I remember when I first started, people would be like, you can't write long form captions. It's for photographers. You know, all the things that people say to you whenever you want to do something. Yep. You love. And you're the newest person to be doing right. it. No one's been doing it that way. Yeah. And, and I remember just being like, fuck it. Like, I'm just, I, I just broke out of all the molds of who I was told I had to be. Interesting. I'm just going to keep going. But as it was an interesting split of, I build this business, I really catch a really perfect time on social media, right? Along with quite a few other people. And then realizing when Instagram gets bought by Meta, Facebook had a day years ago where they just one day changed their algorithm. It was like iOS 14, like whatever the switch was. Well, it was with uh, Facebook's algorithm alone, but iOS just did a switch too that effect. So that was more the ad front. That was the privacy rules from yep. Europe, I believe, that completely changed ad responsiveness, you know, and, and ad efficiency, I guess, yeah. um, because there wasn't as much personal information known, so they couldn't target yep. as well, which that sounds great. But if you're using ads, that's really challenging if that's your business. But what's interesting is when Facebook bought Instagram, then Instagram now is owned by shareholders and then it's all profit-based and you watch like TikTok is a very content-forward platform in that they serve you content that you'll like, not content that you necessarily follow. And the reason is it will keep you on there, right? Which increases ad revenue, et cetera, et cetera. Instagram then now has become more content-forward, which I think everybody can relate to. That's certainly been my experience. But as a business on there and a person generating business through that. What happened is, is all of a sudden where if I posted like a two minute video two years ago, it would get 250, 350,000 views. Like if it was two, three minutes. And then when they switched to reels and you couldn't talk about certain things and you had to do dancey pointy videos. If I was to repost my highest performing video ever, let's say I had at that time would be like 300, 400,000 views. It would get like 40,000. And so you saw this insanely different reach. And I remember a friend said to me, you've made one of the greatest mistakes we all make, which is building a business in someone else's business. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh yeah, that's so true. Like there's a saying that you're building a mansion in someone else's backyard Mm -hmm. and being able to learn how to iterate differently. And that actually has been really interesting for me to navigate because as someone who loved in-person events and all that kind of stuff, then COVID just, you know, changed the culture in that mm-hmm. way. And I feel like that's coming back. What has been your shift? I mean, so obviously you have your social, assuming massive email list. Is that like a channel that you've been able to it pivot is. into? Obviously, I'm assuming in-person events are becoming like Yeah, they're coming back. For you, like what has been kind of the areas that you've been able to offset some of the the social impacting you? I mean, I had to downsize because there was no way I could run that overhead because you're just not generating. If you go from, you know, let's just say I used to grow at around 100,000 followers a month for like six months. I grew at that rate. Yeah, it was insane. So you know what? So if you have, let's say, let's say 400,000 at that time, and then you're generating 100,000 a month, you're getting really high engagement, but you're also getting new people. And so they're exposed to you, totally. they're new, they're new customers, they're new, all the things. And then the podcast also has been growing at a great rate. And podcasts uh, collectively went down about 25%, I think about a year and a half ago. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of reasons for that, but with, cause people weren't driving in their cars, they weren't, you know, commuting, all that kind of stuff. But 
yeah, as that transition happened where you're growing at this rate, and then as COVID occurred, and then I started to just share what I was witnessing. I mean, I was just following the data in real time. And I didn't think you shouldn't be allowed to talk. But like, to me, it was like just normal having been a rep for 14 years in the pharma industry and knowing clinical trials. I was sort of waiting, anticipating the data, being like, oh, is this a good choice for mm-hmm. me? What's the risk stratification? I'm looking at my own health going, okay, what makes sense for me? And I was just sharing that out loud, which I thought was actually pretty normal. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, like that mm-hmm. heavily impacted my social media reach. And now you can look back and I know the Twitter files came out mm-hmm. and they're looking at how, you know, in the US, but of course it's true worldwide, that governments basically said, here's what you can talk about. I saw... Uh, yeah, the true blacklisting that took place. It's crazy. Like, they, I saw an email that was in part of the Twitter files where it said, we're, we have this strategy, this from Meta to the, I think it was to the FBI, or, but the US government. And they said, we are going to not just censor false information. Awesome. That's great. We're actually going to turn down the reach, the virality of true information. If it fits into this. That might create vaccine hesitancy. And so that's, I say this because first off, that's totally fucked up. That true information that may create vaccine hesitancy is actually a natural response to true information. Mm -hmm. You should have the opportunity to be hesitant to something that the data makes you hesitant. I don't find that irresponsible to be exposed to data that makes you go, maybe I shouldn't do this or maybe I should, right? We remove the individual's opportunity to decide for themselves. Mm -hmm. But I say all that because as I shared true information, because the culture now was kind of uh, amplified from just how politics and mainstream media was treating people who were criticizing or just questioning, healthy questioning, it totally turned down my reach. I went down from getting 100,000 new followers a month or something like that to zero. Has it, has it come back at all? A little. I mean, a little bit. In the last year, I've grown uh, 100,000. So I hit 1.1 1. 1, like mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. That's substantial. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's substantial in terms yeah. of the reduction of growth. There has probably been follower turnover because, you know, I might get, let's say, 5,000 new followers and lose 4,000, you know. So you get new people. And and it's just been interesting to witness how that impacts business. But because I know so many people in a similar business versus a product-based business, it's been interesting to see how much people just don't know how to use social media anymore. Mm -hmm. I think even as businesses, I know a lot of people who have brick-and-mortar businesses and they're like, I don't really want to be on social media, but it feels like a necessary evil, quote unquote, in order to actually generate product awareness. And and that is true. I mean, there are, let's be honest, many amazingly beautiful things about social. I mean, I wouldn't be connected to you. 100%. I mean, probably a ton of you listening to the podcast, like, thank you. You know, like this is, but it's been interesting to observe this strange I don't want to do this thing because of the way it makes me feel, but it feels like I have to do this thing. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it is, I think it's one of the biggest challenges we're facing right now. It's this whole new thing that we don't really have data. Like it's, it's a whole new dance we're doing right. into the engagement of how we engage with social media. You can't predict how the algorithm is going to respond. Someone does a pointy dancey video, which, hey, no offense if you love those, but like that gets... 12 million views and someone walking through 
you know, how to heal your nervous system sometimes gets 12 million views, but you know, like you, there's no predictability. It feels like a slot machine that it we're does. all like, you know, it we probably have our, is. It, it, it absolutely is. I, we have our marketing meetings and we are guessing what we think the algorithm's up to, you know, and there's the dance of like our value, like what are our values? What's the co- type of content we want to put out there? And how does that fit to what right. is up regulated in the in the algorithm? Right. So it's like there's a dance of like, but again, we're guessing. I don't. Oh, we've heard that this is happening. We've seen this. It's our own biases <laughs> heard, that are coming yeah. into it. But it's some slot machine, and we put the post up, which is the coin into the machine, and we get the oh that didn't work. Like, and we think that we are in control and understand what's happening, and we're we're doing some dance off of something that. And I don't even know if the social media companies are fully... I mean, as these algorithms, there are levers they're pulling, but there are factors that they're all siloed in their projects working on it that I don't even know if comprehensively they quite know what the algorithm as a whole is doing. Like, yes, they're doing certain things. Let's turn down yeah, this information. Agreed. So it's it's kind of this runaway thing that's happening. You know, and I had there, there's trade-offs to it. You know, I don't see things as like good or bad. It's just like, be aware of like... You're going to go build a business around social media, what the pros and the cons and the trade-offs of of doing that are and what the downfalls could be long-term if this is your end-all to be-all company. And then all of a sudden, Twitter gets bought. And now all of a sudden, that founder wants to... Or that owner wants to change the algorithm in the company. Like, just be aware. And I think it's a good example of what you're saying of like making sure you have multi-channels of building the business. Have to. Have to. You know, because if one gets turned down and that's your only one, you're kind of fucked. Not even kind of, you're fucked. And yeah, I I think that, you know, we were talking earlier about technology and some people maybe going to put a chip in my head and other people going to put a chip in my mouth, you know, like that's the the one to analog life and the other. I do feel like there is an analog revolution of sorts. Like, will we get so to our capacity of our nervous system? Like, I wonder just if we talk about the nervous system, the nervous system's relationship to technology, it's not familiar. It's not biological, Mm -hmm. right? You have more information coming into your brain and dopamine than you've like hardly ever been exposed to. I think about pornography too. If you watch one porn with like 12, you know, actresses or even actors, whatever, I remember reading this thing that said like you would see more boobs in that one movie than you would have been exposed to in your small tribe, you know, back in the day. And I think about just like when I was a kid, you couldn't just get access to pornography. You right. had to one somehow figure out how to get the Playboy or the penthouse totally from behind the plastic cover first and the shelf. Second, if you downloaded it by the time the internet came, I'm 44, so for you guys listening, you probably didn't have to deal with this a lot of you. But you had to wait for the modem to connect with its... And then if you downloaded, let's say you found Cindy Crawford in Playboy, some file, you had to wait about nine minutes and hope your parent didn't walk in while... Yeah, it wasn't a reactionary... There was like a process that you had to go through. Yeah, it's just like dating back then. You had to call the girl's house and talk to their dad and ask for them. That was way harder. Now they can just send a Snapchat or like a yep. text. I mean, it's it's amazing how fast we've changed as humanity. But the reason I say this is that we can't escape our biology. Mm-hmm. And it feels like we need necessary nervous system breaks mm-hmm. and resets 
to just like recalibrate it. You know, I almost feel like when I'm in a really dysregulated state, maybe just due to overconsumption of technology or whatever it is, or just like watching, just knowing what the fuck is going on in the world, mm -hmm. that I go to my cold plunge and it's like, fuck, I'm human. Like, thank you. Like, this is bringing me back. Dipping my head in it, that's a whole other, mm -hmm. you know? And I, yeah, it feels like we need to be in sort of like Navy SEAL nervous system training now. It absolutely. I mean, the nervous system is this topic now that's coming. Like, thank the, the Lord. Yeah, like that wasn't even. I mean, again, Wim. He was the first to really show that you are in control of your nervous system. Before that was like a in the scientific world, like we were victims to the nervous system. Yeah, like that was the radical shift that he brought forward. And yeah. like, no, 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 no. We have levers that we are empowered to utilize to regulate the nervous system. And I think to your point, it's like we, man, this current. I, work through technology. It's like I, I spend a few hours in on my phone or on a laptop. Like I, I'm on edge. There's a little bit of like low-level anxiety. Same. It's just there. It's, you know, I get outside and do a 30-minute walk. <sighs> like, like enriched. It just, yeah. you know, the cold plunge, I think, is the ultimate. It's two minutes. You go outside for two minutes, you will be snapped back into a, <laughs> yeah. like a regular... You can't be thinking about something else. You're... Yeah, it is so like, true. but your heart rate rises and it's a, it's a shot of adrenaline. So it's kind of paradoxical that I would compare it to meditation, but it's doing on the brain mechanisms. It's the same concept of doing like a, let's say a 15 minute sit in silence. You come out and your brain is calm. Well, you get out of a cold plunge. That's that same sink. You're, you're not thinking the monkey mind's not there. Mm -hmm. You are, you are whew, like you're, yeah, you're the endorphins and you're feeling great. But your mind is not thinking of all the tasks you have to go do. It's not apps that are open. You're just, I think it's a fast track into meditation. So it's like Agreed. you can just go get two minutes in the plunge. You're going to go shake off that, whatever that rust is that can happen when we're, you know, our brains are kind of stuck in the to-do tasks. But you're also getting this whew, like calming sense that overrides you. So, you know, I think we, we do need these. Yeah, it's just learning the new tools. Technology's not going anywhere. It's, it's, it's what not. it's, it, you know, we have it's to not. learn to play with it. Um, right. You know, it's like use the system. Yep. And it's dancing and out of it, but just don't be consumed by it. You, I, and I say that having fallen prey to the consumption. 100%. You know, that's not a judgmental statement. That's a fucking knowing. I don't think that'll ever go away. I think we, similar to like growing as a person, you've never arrived into like, right. oh, I'm, I have now healed. It's like, no, it's a constant thing. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> would be Can incredible. you tell me where the destination is? I'd like to get there. <laughs> and that's, you know, I think technology will be, you know, unless there's some far off date that we hit where we fully merge and that, you know, this <laughs> yeah, is the singularity. We would not consider human I anymore. I am machine. Yeah. Like, you know, and that's a whole other conversation, but I think we have to, and again, what is that? I think the natural world is the elements are the way to bring us back to that. They're everything. And I, it seems like this also, this return to, because in the experience of modern civilization is also this movement away from structured religion which for many reasons, many viable reasons, and the people who love religion, awesome, mm -hmm. you know. But there seems to be now a desire for connection back to whatever is greater, unification, mm -hmm. you know. And that's really ultimately empathy too, you know, this ability to feel like, hey, I, I get that you're a human too and you're going through some shit. You know, I'm curious, if you had the option, would you upload your consciousness to the cloud? In this moment, no. Yeah, I mean, but I, but again, I'm not a no on the long term. Yeah, like I, you'll be running the gold plunge. Like, 
for generations. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I think we're all fitting to what the modern, whether we like to think we're not, we're, we're, our circumstances of what the world is kind of dictates who we are. Yeah. You know, you and I being born in this period of time, you know, thought processes and everything, it's kind of dictates who we are. I don't know what the world looks like in a thousand years that that's the thing. And I'm born into that. Like I could see it, but in this moment, no, I wouldn't, that's not, that's not that interesting to me. Um, but again, there, I'm open to data changing on that and me finding new realizations of why that would be a thing. Um, would you do it? No, at least not right now. Right. I'm open to the thought that something will happen and I'll be more consumed by that. Because I think there's something interesting at play of the reality of mortality. Mm. Like, I, I think if you take, first off, it wouldn't be you. And I think this is probably a philosophical thought, but it wouldn't actually be me. It would be AI predicting me. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? And maybe they can turn me into ones and zeros, which I hope are more complex. I don't know. I, I guess I just think like, well, that wouldn't be me anyways. It would just be some semblance of me or like structures of patterns of behavior, which I'm sure we can all put us ourselves down to also a simplistic structure of mm-hmm. patterns and behaviors, which we can change. But I think it would, I think there's something at play with mortality that actually makes us willing. Like if you think you have a thousand years to get shit done, I mean, that's great, but you probably won't get as much shit done, you know? But if, you know, one, when I worked in as a rep in oncology, I remember being in this room where I did a preceptorship once and I was in this room when, the oncologist told the patient, the oncologist was prepared that this patient would come already knowing they were going to, like they had a type of cancer that was terminal. Got it. But the patient's physician hadn't told them, their family doctor or whoever they were seeing who referred them, hadn't told so them. So the family was, didn't know yet. The guy didn't know. He Got knew it. he was, he had some foreign cancer, but he didn't know the, the outcome. Yeah. Or he didn't know the prognosis. So... I was in the room when the oncologist was sharing, Mm. oh, as you know, and he was like, what? And I remember that moment. I can just like, it was him and his wife. And I just felt like just watching someone witness when they're told Mm. that they're going to be gone. And it made me really think about a principle in that space of survivorship that like, as someone finds out their, let's quote unquote, let's say day that they ascend, Mm -hmm. they thrive. They like step into, they stop with the bullshit. Not everybody, but a lot of yeah, people, yeah. you know? And now as I understand more about physiology, the nervous system, emotions, I'm just like being able to know how much power is in your ability to be in arrested parasympathetic state, right? Like in the state where you're just like, <sighs> mm-hmm. and I remember just watching and thinking like, we all are going to die. except if we upload ourselves to the cloud. But from a physiological perspective, Mm -hmm. we're dying from physical. And I was like, how do we, how do we embrace the power that comes knowing and exploration without actually needing to be in a room with an oncologist? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't think you can manufacture that. I don't know because when do humans change? We don't change when we know we should generally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it takes that. What do you think? I had a super serious accident on my kind of deathbed for me that shook me so it what takes, was a car uh yeah motor motor bike yeah head-on collision holy shit so that was like uh how old were you uh, this was about 10 years ago so i was late uh late 20s 
And, you know, it's the greatest gift that happened to me. It was like, I knew it that night in the bed, I was coming out of consciousness and I turned to my best bud with me in Thailand. And I was like, I needed this. Oh, you're in Thailand. He just looked at me like I was crazy, you know, like, dude. He's like, you didn't need this. I could have just told you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it took that type of event. I mean, usually it's a death that you're around. It's, you know, it's the connection to the death. Right. The connection to death is is the fuel to live. It's the, it's the ultimate paradox. And so I think death to me is at the core. I think it drives, it's one of the drivers in everything that we do. Like it, it's, we are- It can play, be, right? Subconsciously. I agree with you. It is always there. Yeah, exactly. Like we are always playing to, you know, whether we take a risky job, oh, is it going to, you know, I think at the core, oh, I lose my job. I lose my money. I lose my family. I'm, I'm, I'm homeless. I have no, I'm going to die. You know, it's like, I think there's death that kind of upcycles, whether we actually correlate to that. But I think the more we are connected to death and having that in a healthy, that's sitting there, it's kind of like in the periphery of us at all times, because it is there. It is the guarantee in this current life that we have, right? We are going to die. It is, it is the guarantee. Like, it's the only thing I will guarantee in your life. And to be connected to that, I think is, is the healthiest thing to be. Question I have for you on death. Would you like to know when you were going to die? Cool, or yeah. Would you, would you want to uh, let that play out? It's just... I like these questions. No, I wouldn't want to know. I think part of the mystery yeah. is I almost died too. I broke my leg playing soccer. The other guy broke his leg too, so I wasn't the weakest link. But I was talking shit, and then we went shin to shin and both broke our shins. Wow. And I spent five days waiting to get surgery. Long story short, ended up with an embolism from the surgery in my lung from the bone marrow and had low oxygen levels. And I remember laying in the hospital hallway at like 1.30 in the morning. And at this point, my family's not around because they're like, he just had surgery. He's fine. He's in recovery. And I remember being by myself waiting to, I think, get like a CT scan. And I used to chew tobacco. So when I was like 17, 18, 19, 20, I'd often hide it, but I'd chew tobacco all the time, but it was never in integrity with my priorities of health and wellness and fitness. And so I always wanted to quit and I'd try, but man, I remember in that hallway thinking, because they told me that having a fat embolism in your lung had a 40% mortality rate. And I remember thinking I was only 25. I was like, I'm not ready to go. Like I had this real deep feeling of sadness and fear. And I remember thinking, if I get through this, I'll never chew a day again in my life because why am I doing something that's speeding up my mortality? Like Mm -hmm. that to me was just so not gracious of the gift of life. I remember talking to Connor Beaton, my buddy. He was saying, yeah, and he, Connor was saying, we were consulting for this business for these leaders. And he said in the workshop that every choice you make is pro-death or pro-life. There is no in-between. And I was like, oh, fuck, that's so true. Like your choices are either embracing the value of your, your um, yep. life, your heartbeat, the reverence you have. The vitality. Your right, or not. And I was just like, yeah, it's that simple. And how many of us are making pro-death choices, which feels heavy. I get that that statement is heavy, but I think there's something about truth that hits you hard but also you have to embrace how it hits you because when you find out you're going to die, no one can sugarcoat that shit for mm-hmm. you. But it's just like when someone has a toxic pattern. It's like you have a toxic pattern. 
And I'm like, can you say it differently? Like, my feelings are hurt. And it's like, you're the one who has the toxic pattern. Like, dancing around it or putting it in a different wrapper might make it easier to hold. Mm -hmm. But eventually, you have to actually sit with what I would consider, and this might be debatable to you listening, but I would consider that's the experience of healthy shame, which is the awareness that you have a better behavior available to you once you know something's toxic Mm -hmm. or bad for you. Would you want to know your expiration date? And I'm curious your thoughts on what I just said. Uh, I mean, expiration date, no. I wouldn't want to know. I think the the I think better question to what I asked you is, would you like to just die or have the situation where you have a terminal illness Oof. and you have oh, this yeah. window? Um, You're really going for it. You answer that one first. It's something I think about. Like death is something that's on the forefront. And I think about these questions a lot. Like I, I want to die gracefully. And when I say gracefully, like I want to be, I want to die well. Like I want to meet the moment. I want to like, I don't want to resist it. I want to like when my time is. And I know it's a very ambiguous question because there's times to kind of fight for your life. And like, you know, but there, I want to meet that moment. Like, and that's something I feel my whole life is preparing me for that. Like that's a deep core, like just belief that I have of what life's about. I think I would like a window to have with some life. time, some time, you know, I, I envision a life of, you know, Ryan and I are talking, my partner about building a family and that yeah. it's like, I think about those moments of my family around me and like having that and having the opportunity to like, you know, there's closure and peace and like grief that can grieving that can be done in like a healthy way. I do think uh, long story short, I would like a window to know. It's like, I would also, the caveat would be, I don't want that to be a drawn out window. I don't want to like, you know, oh, we're not sure. It's like, no, this is, you have, you have three months, you know, and this is, it's happening. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something beautiful in that. Have you read the book, Who Dies? by Stephen no. Levine. No. Incredible book. It was Ram Dass encouraged Stephen Levine to write it. Stephen Levine, back in the 80s, I believe he wrote it. He had spent the most time with people on their deathbeds. Oh. Um, wow. So he had this experience of just, thousands of hours of people in their final moments wow. of life. So the concept is like, who dies? Because it's like the individual's dying, but then the family's dying because they're losing this individual. And just like how some people met the moment, some people resisted it. And it was the greatest, he saw the greatest opening of the heart that could he had ever witnessed in these you know, people oh, that man. met it. Yeah, I just think of that, like him talking about death and just that's always been at the forefront. Like, how do I, how do I meet that moment? How do I, like the opportunity to be with family, to be with loved ones, to kind of reconcile my own life. As I sit here now, there's probably a number of people that's just like, there's bullshit in the way. Yeah. And like, you know, I'd love to meet that and just clean it up right now. Yeah. And it's a good reflection. But I think having, there's nothing more real than when you, it's real. Yeah, I agree. And and it can shift you. So, but yeah, curious on your... um, Would I want a window? Would you want a window? Oh... I don't think I would. I do agree with dying well. And um, Stephen Jenkinson, do you know who that is? Yeah. He talks about dying and dying yeah. well. His, his work is really interesting. I remember a guy interviewing him saying like, our relationship to death. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Jenkins said, said to him, there you go again, distancing yourself from what is. It's not a relationship to something. Mm-hmm. Death is. And I was like, oh, that's really fascinating how we do that. You know, I think a lot of, our inability to even sit with, let's say, the realities of the data that we've been unwilling to explore fully and be curious about 
in the last three years and how so it was so easy to hijack people's fear. It's because of their fear of death. And, and then we're willing to attack anybody who isn't doing what is the proposed solution. And that's human nature. And if you look at human history, that's essentially how we gain more compliance is we use factors like fear and belonging. Or, or how we treated people dying and separated them from... Fucking wild. You know, like the, the, the core thing that the... Pat, I mean, that's a whole other conversation, but how we alienated well, how people. disrespectful that was of mortality. Like, you're, you get the choice. You could say goodbye to your family on fucking FaceTime mm. as you exit. I mean, that just, even just saying that just brings so much grief and breaks my heart. We live in a culture that does really not value their elders, our elders, Western world especially. We generally would like to put our parents in a home, you know, and this is obviously not true of immigrant families where multi-generations live in homes. But as a culture, we are afraid of dying. We are marketed products to maintain youth and power. Mm -hmm. And those products wouldn't work. The marketing wouldn't work if there wasn't some pain that we have about aging that we want to rectify, but it's not actually fixing it. It's such bullshit. It's just a Band-Aid on something that's not even fucking wounded or broken. Mm. And the idea that it is wounded or broken that we age, which I remember Alan Watts said, we want apples that don't rot and women that don't age. Mm. And I thought like, yeah, isn't that so true? Like we don't value, I mean, I look in the, I'm from Canada, but I look at how in Canada, mothers get one year of mat leave. In the US, I think they get like six fucking weeks or like three months. How do you have proper attunement with the mm -hmm. child? Not even adding to the fact that the systems make it and the price of life now makes it so most homes need two people working that how does a, I think it just perpetuates this generation of disconnected people disconnected men. Mm -hmm. And then it just perpetuates. And then the capitalist system, which I'm not, not everything about capitalism is wrong, of course, but because it just feeds profit, much like when Meta took over Instagram, now it's profit-based. So they exploit, there, there's a, I forget his name, but he's brilliant. He's a YouTuber and he has this clip that I'll link out in the show notes where he says, they're coming for every second of your life mm. because they need to make more money and they're We've colonized all the land in the world and now we're colonizing your attention. And I think about that a lot, just like how extractive we are and how just that inability to be with even our child because the culture doesn't value the relationship a mother has. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many, obviously there's so many mm -hmm. layers to this. And I love that we go from cool plunging to <laughs> death, to, right? Because it is to me like very much part of the healing is holistic. Mm -hmm. You know, water is like one of the most healing. I mean, it's an essential element. It's even learning about structured water is yeah. fucking mind blowing. Totally. I mean, it's just, I think that you're saying there's, there's levels and layers to everything that we're involved in. And there's yeah. like, it's good to, you know, we went from a time recently where we couldn't question everything, but I think it is important that we are questioning everything. Yeah. Like a lot of our, you know, a lot of this, everything isn't in its end state. There's always this tinkering and improving and, and ways to alter it. And I think you're talking on a lot of different systems right here and to how death happens within our culture, to, you know, how businesses run, to how we, you know, everything that we do. I think they, they, there is levels and ways to improve and tinker. And it's not a, we're not in an end state to just accept it. 
but I think that's part of the the fun of like the world that we live in. Like that, right. that's the, we get to play. Yeah, that's the opportunity as humans is like that is that is, and we all you know, and it could be overwhelming because all these systems and structures could be like how what they could, how do you change? Yeah, it's so big, and it's like again, it focus is. on yeah the world that is your world. Like focus on your community. Like that is. Amen. Focus on how you talk to your mom. Focus on your coworker. Like, focus on your body. Like, don't go thinking, I'm going to change, like, not here to tell everyone, but it's like, don't go change the whole system. Like, the, the system changes from inside and out. Right. And, you know, I think it, I always think it's like a very arrogant thought to, I'm going to change the world. And it's like, no, go change. <laughs> what is your world? Like, change your thing that you can change. Like, Jordan Peter says it, clean your room. Right. Like, start there and let that, don't go change the world if your room's dirty. Like that is how you change the world. And so I think to your point of all these systems and structures and, you know, they're, they're heavy concepts, but we are empowered to make little alterations daily and do things just a little different into ways that we've brought the unconscious into the conscious and, and make, you know, shifts. And that's how we ideally live into a world that we're all more excited to, you know, and it's a better, more fulfilled world for all of us to be in. Well, yeah, collectively, we have this opportunity to take responsibility, as you're saying, for our own way of being. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't tell the world to clean its shit up if you're a toxic person. Totally. You know? Like, I think of it often we want this relationship to fall on our lap, not realizing we're empowered to create that relationship with anyone else who wants to create it. It's not something that just happens. I mean, you and I both know that. I know that deeply. Like, the the work isn't done. Like, far from it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you were talking about having a family and preparing. You know, I think one thing about preparing to have a child in the world, I watched this birth video. It was called um, These Are My Hours. And it was recommended by a friend of ours. And is wild. It's this woman, I believe it's her fourth kid. And it like follows through her birth. And at the end, <laughs> the end of it, she's like sitting in the living room, fires burning. She's in this uh, mm. really beautiful primal uh, delivery process is really cool to watch. I'd never watched a full birth video, I'd say, because I was a little afraid of witnessing one because yeah. I'm like going to ha- watch this. And it's, it's, a, I'm just realizing how primal you are because you're, you're a species, right? Like, so we're animals. Giving, right. Like, like, she's breathing and all of a sudden there's a baby on the, on the floor and she's oh. like l- cuddling it and it goes to the dad and the dad is just like, mm. and uh, we were at a, an appointment yesterday with our midwives. And I was, I always meet the most interesting people. We always meet the most interesting people in the waiting room. And there was this new couple and they had, their baby was two weeks old. And the father is such a wonderful guy. I, I don't know his name, but he was really wonderful. And he was saying, witnessing his wife give birth. Like he got teary. Mm. And he said when she gave birth, he was just a fucking puddle. He said it was so like the the tears. And I think about, the reason I say this is because what's come up for me preparing to be a father, and I know you're doing the same, is that there's this recognition that this will end for me and it will begin for someone else, mm. for my child. Not just the kind of world I want to like at least help shape in whatever way I can, not just our family system, but also our community, as you're saying, our bodies, that there's just a, a sense of responsibility, but there's also like what's been activated in me is a much more a sense of ferocity. Like I, I, the protection of them is more important than anything, yeah. you know? And 
that has made me relate to death too differently. Since I turned, actually, probably when I turned 40 or 39-ish, I really started to process death more. My mother's father died when he was 40 from, I believe, a brain aneurysm. I just thought, like, what an age to go, you know? Mm -hmm. And I also think about how many, almost when I was almost 40, I was, and now being 44, I think about how many moments I, I just skated through in my 20s and my mm. teens that, I mean, even my late teens in college. That you like took for granted type thing or just? I was wasted. Mm. I, you know, I, I time traveled just, you know, from drinking mm-hmm. or that I wasn't, sobriety for me has been a gift that also contains grief mm. because there's this recognition that I haven't always been present. And I think the gift that comes with a quote unquote, a midlife crisis uh, which I always denied would occur and then found myself in one and then bought a red convertible. Hell yeah. That my friend crashed. <laughs> so she was like, I'm not going to let you live That's this. Ironic. Yeah, this irony. <laughs> um, but just this, there has been something really beautiful with that, with this recognition that, hey, maybe I've lived half my life or less than half my life or more than whatever it is. But just how much now I like, I'm almost sad as I'm living. Mm. And not in a bad way. But in a way that I'm like, oh, a day has gone by. You're more you're more yeah. present to what a day means, and yeah. yeah, I think that grief has always been there. That's why I'm curious about your experience as you have been processing death, because I think the grief has always been there, because that's the reality of being a human and death and mortality and all that. But I just there are plenty of mechanisms to make it so you don't feel it. Yeah, I think that's also like our development as humans. Like it's very natural in your teens and your 20s. It's kind of this carefree age. Don't give a fuck. Yeah, except majority, unless you were connected to some death very early on or had some unique life experience, there's something beautiful about carefree ages. Like it's like I... I, There is, right? It's I... Maybe I long for that, actually. I think that's that's more of it. I think we're actually... Like we talk about age and like aging. I think we're chasing the carefree dynamic. Well, as way more responsibilities now, tom- too. So much more. Like, and the, the mat, like, life has more magnitude and, like you said, yeah. responsibility and accountabilities. And, you know, I think that's maturing is, like, meeting those responsibilities as they grow. And I have moments where I, you know, freedom is, like, my core thing. And sometimes I confuse freedom to, like, I'm not responsible and I'm not accountable and I just get to go do whatever mm. the fuck I want to do. Yeah. And, but I think maturing is, like, no, freedom lives within all these responsibilities and being accountable. And, and so I think it, it, to me, it's like a, it's a natural maturation to go through that. But I think it's... Um, mm, that's true. I agree. You know, I... And, man, the early 20s, what a time. It was great. You know, where you, you no, can I'm not going to lie. It was fantastic. Yeah. And I think it's, it's more accepting that that is what that is. And it's like meeting the new... You know, there's new seasons of life. It's like, how do I lean into what this season is? And is mold. this winter? Shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, is this fall? I'm not sure. But I think we're, the more we're honest to what is the current season of our life, the more we can accept it, the more, you know, then it's like, then it can be more joyful in a way that's like, you know, we meet the challenge as opposed to, I don't want to face this challenge. I wish it was more in this capacity. But I, yeah, I mean, I think... I think it's healthy to go through, like you said, a, a mid, like, you know, crisis and kind of go through switching into how we, how we view things. But I always, I always think, you know, I hear Va- Gary Vaynerchuk talk about it a lot, like, would he trade 
he would always give up whatever he has now to go back to like for youth. And I always find that an interesting thing. Like I, I, I would someone else say that. I wouldn't. I love where I'm at now. It's like I wouldn't either. Youth, I think, had its own anxieties that I forget were there. That <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, uh, so like I, you know, what am I going to do with my life? Who like, am I? Who am I? Like, what, you know, for me, and, you know, I think it could still be later on in life, but like societal pressures are a lot more intense, I felt like, at that age into like what I should be doing, what I like to actually even, I didn't know. I think as I got old, I've gotten older and I can't wait to be 75 and know who I, you know, have a closer yeah. vantage point of who I, who I am or what lights me up. Like I'm only, you know, I feel like I'm watching the generations below you. Yeah. You know, there's that, you know, I think about in a culture that rejects aging, it means it rejects the wisdom that is locked in the acceptance of your age. Do you know what I'm saying? hundred percent. Like if you escape the, the chronological clock, then you actually reject the wisdom that comes with chrono, chronology, whatever the word is. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And don't send me a message telling me how to say that. There's something about that. And, you know, I had this interesting, because you were talking about thinking about our bodies, thinking about our health. And I think for a lot of people during COVID, that was became top of mind. Mm-hmm. But then for a lot of other people, the government never said, take vitamin D, <laughs> take vitamin C, mm-hmm. take care of your health, lose weight, because, you know, obesity is one of the main comorbidities, age is one of the, I think that was the number one comorbidity. Anyways, all that to say that when I, through COVID, I think just due to the stress and all the things that happened, I probably put on like 15 pounds. And in the coming back to really prioritizing my health, food, all those things that I had this uh, awareness, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it. I had this awareness that I was often praying or thinking, I don't want to die, or like this fear of, let's say, a cardiovascular event, or just something random, like my grandfather had, right? Just like thinking, oh, I don't want that to happen, and that could happen at any time. It's, it's at the forefront, but you're trying to avoid it. Right. Like it's, but there's also this unconscious slash very conscious recognition that if I don't actually take absolute responsibility for my health, that is actually a thought that can perpetuate. Mm-hmm. It can always be there, of course. But if I'm not making choices that are pro-life, then that's going to be a more uh, conscious thought. And so I, I had this recognition standing at a urinal, which is where some of life's greatest recognitions are. And I had this recognition that I was praying that an outcome wouldn't happen versus ensuring Mm. versus creating. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, talk about martyr. Like, here I am saying, God, world, universe, whatever the fuck. And I no disrespect. It was like, help me versus live it up. Mm-hmm. Like, fucking embrace your health. Eat well. Run, hike, mountain. I was doing those things, but I wasn't doing all of those things together. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck that. I'm no longer going to live in fear of this outcome. I don't know where that came from. I'm not going to shame it, but I'm going to ensure, do everything I can, that I'm going to live a vital life. And it was like this instant switch. It probably happened a month ago. And I'd been maintaining health and hiking and mountain biking, but I had not been like truly embracing everything I could do. So I'm curious your thoughts on that. Well, it feels like you may like been thinking of like what stress is lately. Stress to me is like a just a decision that hasn't been made. 
Like mm. we haven't gone and like it's just something lingering. And so I'm assuming well, I like, like it sounds like it was stressful. Like it was it, fucking stressful. And, and I now, think about how many people live with that. And, and how many things I still don't do in this moment that I haven't made the decision in to, you know, it's like, it's yeah. like there's, it's a potential that's unlived. Exactly. Yeah. And so like, it sounds like I could just feel the calmness in you. Right. And it's like, no, I decide like, that's what I'm doing now. And that's not a thing that's like, oh, I feel guilty for this, or I didn't do that. Like you just, now you're in that direction. You made that decision. And I think, yeah, I mean, to your question of, tell me more about like what the actual question is. Yeah, I'm curious about your thoughts on, because we've been talking about death and how people are reactive to it, right? Like we find out it's going to happen. And I found myself in this state where I was like waiting to hear something or waiting for Mm. something to happen in order to change, which is like... You wanted the the big life event to... I didn't want it, but but it was like I was waiting for that to happen to be the catalyst instead of just standing at a urinal and deciding that the catalyst is just... It's just choice. Yeah. In the imminent nature of mortality, I don't need an announcement from a doctor about that. I fucking know it. So what caused your shift? Like you didn't have that moment. So what I is... It I mean, was that's... just like this, like, this is going to sound weird, bad. So just adjust yourself for my language. But I remember just having this feeling like, stop being a little bitch. Yeah. And you know, I remember telling my friend that. He's like, well, that's not great self-talk. <laughs> and I was like, no, nah, I needed it. I needed this like, Stop being a little bitch. Stop whining. Stop complaining. Stop being a victim of an outcome that hasn't even Mm -hmm. fucking happened. And I realized like how much I was giving away. Mm -hmm. This again comes back to when I'm in rituals, morning meditation, exercise, cold plunge, unfucking stoppable. Mm -hmm. When I start to fall out of those rituals for whatever reason, but I'll say ultimately lack of priority, right? Sometimes there's circumstance, but ultimately a lack of priority then I, I start to develop the fears and beliefs that come with someone who doesn't have those rituals. Yeah, they're going to be you know reflections of that. 100%. Yeah. yeah, I think... Have you ever had that experience of like... Or have you always embraced the... I think I have the... I, there's micro moments of that all the time. Like, I, I, like you said, don't be a little bitch. Like, you know, like the David Goggins of the world. Like that guy... That guy. He, he cracks me up. Like, and he is... Maju- yes, there are times where I'm like, that is a... I'm glad I'm not him. And I, that is an intense self-talk. And I would say the majority of the time that I see some content from him or hear that voice in my head, it's right. Like, it's just, so say, just saying like, That was dude, my inner David Goggins. Yeah, it's like, and most of the time, it's just these micro things that I don't want to do. Where it's like, dude, go for a run. Like, um, yeah. the debating on the run, I'm kind of dead. I, I can do that. Don't be a little bitch. Like, it, it truly, like, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, it's an intense statement, but... It is. And majority that's what the, he would say. Exactly. And I and I appreciate people like him because a lot there are times that we do need the self, we need the soothing, relaxing, and take a step back and we're in overdrive. Hundred percent that's there. And it's discernment. And a lot of the time it's just do the thing. Just step You'll up and always be happy. You went for a run. Always be always be happy. And like you said, the cold plunge or meditate, breath work in the morning. Like I just think we're momentous creatures. Like we're not we are all capable of everything that's ever happened on the planet. Like I am capable of doing that. Good, bad, ugly. Right. Like, I am no different than any that's person a truth else. truth that everyone needs to know. And it, it, you know, I think that creates a lot of empathy. You know, it's not a, it's not a way just to um, rationalize everything, but I think we're capable of that. And again, it's building the structures and the barriers to keep us in a, it's a bowling alley. 
You know, we need the bumpers in the direction of where we're trying to go. And, you know, I think, like you said, it's adding these little things that we know put us in the direction we want to go, whether it's working out. We'll figure out, re-engineer how you can work out. What are the things that are stopping you from working out? Is it you actually need an accountability partner to do it with? Then go find someone to do it with. You find out what the things that are actually get you out of bed to go work out. You got to go figure these out. Cold plunging, getting in cold water. How do you do it? Well, you don't have a cold plunge. Maybe do your shower. Everyone takes a shower. Do cold water at the end of your shower. Or, you know, for me, I have the cold plunge, like the actual unit. I do it in the morning. I can't. The longer I wait in the day, the greater the probability that I'm not going to do that. Yeah, so yeah, I do yeah. it first thing. because Do you do it right away? I do it first thing out of bed. I saw Joe Rogan. He said that he used to do it after he worked out and it was easier. So now he does it before. Before the workout's incredible. You're going to get that. And it's like, it's like taking a, uh, you know, it's a coffee or like a pre-workout before your workout. Like you're getting this yeah. hyper energy. I haven't tried that yet. Because it's also something with cold water it's a hack for your muscles. Because when we, you know, when we work out, we want to ultimately have that adaptation where we tear our muscles down, yeah. you know, and they come back stronger. It's our body temp that stops us. So the brain sends a signal first, like you're overheating. So the body stop, like you've hit your threshold. Yeah. That's not, your muscles can actually go way further. Yeah. So if you lower your core body temperature, the brain won't send that signal and you uh, can actually get more wait, intense in your, in your workout. Like the guy that did the pull-up record, that's what he would do. He would like get cold before the pull-ups and like... How many do you do? Something insane. Some insane. And you know, there are levels that that there is a reason that's in place to not make sure you (laughs) don't go too far. David Goggins doesn't have that. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) But again, so pre-workout, great example of like, you want to push it a little further, get cold before your workout, lower that core body temperature. Yeah, I think it's just finding the little little things that we can work in to kind of... Build the build the bumper lanes, get momentous in a direction that we want to go. We don't need the huge life events. And when they come, they're great. But we can't call that in and expect oh, that to happen. Don't wait for the reason to change. To change. You know, and, that's the key. And do the small thing. Like don't don't go change your whole life. Do yeah. start with manageable. And I almost say, like, do the thing that you're gonna laugh at yourself that that's even the goal. Because it's about building the consistency. So again, if you want to start having a meditation practice, mindfulness practice, don't go, I'm going to do 10 minutes every morning. You're not going to do it. I guarantee it. You won't show up. You won't do it in a week. You might go a week, but you're going to stop. Sit down and say, I'm going to do 30 focused breaths. Maybe that's your number. Maybe that's your number. Like, I could do that. 30 focused breaths. If that's the thing that you almost laugh at, just keep doing that. You will naturally build up over time. You want a cold plunge. Don't go, I'm going to go 39 degrees for eight minutes. Don't do it. Like you won't, you won't show up tomorrow. You're going to scar yourself. You're going to create almost this micro trauma in yourself. That's like, I'm not getting back in there. Yeah. So start at 60 degrees and do one minute. Don't have a timeline of when you need to change it. You will naturally change it. You will adapt. You will become the thing of like, you know what? I'm going to lower this five degrees. I'm ready. And that's, that's a natural progression. You're playing a long game as opposed to, I want the outcome yeah. now, but you're, you're, you're taking time. You want to work out. You want to, you want to start running. You want to run a marathon. You don't go run the marathon. You, you start and you so get far. off your couch. Sounds and like hell. You run a mile and you, yeah. you know, or whatever the thing is, it's like, I can do this. And it's like, how to, you know, atomic habits. That's their, that's the whole press. Yeah. I think he talks about habit stacking. Yeah. That's exactly. James Clear, right? You already have yeah. habits. Work in a subtle, subtle hap, habit on top of it and then, or a subtle activity, and then it'll become a habit. 
So that's true. I think like if you already have morning coffee, just add meditation to the morning coffee. Totally. Yeah. What is the thing that you're doing in there? Maybe it's like, I'm going to do five pushups while my water's boiling. Like that's the thing. And you can, you know, you can start to work those things in. So I think it's, it's finding the little, we got to find, and everyone's different. We're all different into how we reverse engineer what makes us go. What are the activities we want to add? So if we're in a place that we don't like, I don't think it's, I think it's a detriment to be like, these 10 things I'm going to shift. It's like, pick one. And you're like, don't go for all of them. I, I just, start. I, I agree with that. There's the rarity that people can do it. And I think there are moments that are big that can shift a lot in us. And we got to take those opportunities. But majority of the time we're living in ways that are not that. And, but there are shifts. There's always something we want to shift in our life. You know, one degree over six months is 180 degrees in the other right. direction. Like yeah. you're truly, like you could shift your whole life you just go with that mentality very quickly. I think we underestimate what three, six months or a year, we overestimate what we can do in a week and we completely underestimate what we can do in, mm. in multiple months period of time. Amen. Like you can, you know, plunge for me was launched in, I went from thinking I have capital floats to three months, new company launched in a much better situation, going in a whole new direction. It's just like, you, you know, that was- You never know what's going to change your life. You don't. And I think that's, yeah, it's how do we deal with the micro and then when the big opportunities come, seize them. Yeah, amen. And, 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 and cause the shift. Beautiful. Well, brother, I mean, we went everywhere, <laughs> which I was curious what we were going to get into today. And doing it over digital just doesn't bring out the same, like, totally. you know, I'm so appreciative to have you on, appreciative of your mind, your heart, your soul, all the things that you shared today. And for the people listening, where can they find more of you? I know you have a podcast. Um, where can they maybe find out more information about the cold plunge if mm-hmm. they're feeling called to that? And uh, yeah. Yeah. For me personally, uh, all the social channels, just type in my name. But the podcast called The Journey, have an interview with you on there, which is great. I know your backstory. So if people want to check that out, it's on Spotify, YouTube, all the things it's called The Journey, Ryan Dewey. And then Plunge. I mean, you just type in cold plunge on the internet. You're going you're gonna to find us. Check us out. Cold plunging, I think it's I think it's the greatest greatest tool you can work in on the shortest ROI in time into, yeah, into your life. So, yeah, man. Well, thanks for coming and, and giving you your time. Yeah, absolutely, man. This is a blast. Mm-hmm.